Have you ever felt abandoned or betrayed or surprised by family or loved ones, someone you knew really well? I went to a very small grade school. And when I say small, I mean like 25 kids in grades K through 8. If you do the math, that's like one or two per grade. I graduated eighth grade alone by myself. But we were a tight-knit group of kids and parents. We got to know each other very, very well, like brothers and sisters, you can imagine. Once a year, uh, we, we, we were invited to a basketball tournament that happened in Fort Worth, Texas. I went to school in Oklahoma City, and we would be invited to this tournament, and in this tournament, we would play all the other grade schools in our Lutheran fellowship for a Friday and a Saturday. And being an Okie and the only school from Oklahoma, we had an axe to grind with Texans. And we trained hard. All the parents got into it. They would help assistant coach. Uh, they made new uniforms for us. They were our biggest cheerleaders. And we, there were six of us on the seventh and eighth boys A team. There were six of us. We played hard. We, we scrimmaged. We, 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 our parents let us stay after school to practice even longer than we normally would. They were fully supportive of us. And the week came for Spirit Week, right? And the parents, they put on the best uh, Spirit Week they could for us. You would have thought we were the 98 Chicago Bulls. They made a new uniforms, we made the posters, they dressed up the cars with the paint, and they put wildcats, we were called Gethsemane Wildcats, and they put it on the minivans, and on Friday, they drove those vans, and we, car we all piled in, and we carpooled all the way, two hours, two and a half hours to Fort Worth, and there we played our basketball games, and we won. We won the first day. We won all of our games. And our parents, they took us out for fine dining that night at the Olive Garden. We stayed at the Ritzy La Quinta in Fort Worth with a swimming pool. We stayed up late drinking Mountain Dew Code Red. I know probably half this room doesn't know what that is. Um, and we burnt our, the roof of our mouths with hot pockets late into the night. We were being treated just beautifully by our parents. The next day, we were so excited. We went into that tournament, and Ben Jones, our six-foot-one, eighth grader. He had game of his life. Chase Barker and I and Brian Vesna, we had made up plays on the playground like par, pick and roll, gag, give and go. And we were running circles around all the teams from Dallas and San Antonio and, and Austin and Houston, no offense. And we ran the tables. Our little school. And our parents threw a huge party that night, at Saturday night after we got home. We were the darling of the church and the school, and we found out that we would play one more game. Yeah, the principal. He lined up one more game for us, and we had no choice. We had to play it. It was a home game in our little mini gym. You know those mini gyms where the three-point lines cross each other? He said, you're going to play now one more game this Friday against your moms and dads and your older brothers and sisters. They want to take you on in a game, a friendly game. That was what was promised to us, was a friendly game. Well, Friday came, and we thought to ourselves, these geriatric 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, <laughs> they don't stand a chance against us. You know, we're, we are like the 98 Chicago Bulls in our mind at this point. Well, I'll tell you, I've never seen 
a mom get so much pleasure from stuffing her baby? <laughs> or a dad, and all the dads, double-teaming Ben Jones, shutting him down completely, and they knew our gag, they knew our par, they heard it, us running all those plays, and they completely dominated us. And at the end of that game, we were shocked. That's mom? That's dad giving each other high fives after beating us? Who are these people? Who are my mother and my brothers? Little betrayal. It was a friendly game. It was fun. But it gets you thinking. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus has real betrayal from his own family. And it's not a pick-up fun game. But he literally says, who are my brothers and my mother? Because they were playing against him in that moment, against his mission about what he came to do for you and me. And it hurt. It probably hurt his parents. It probably hurt his brothers, sisters. It hurt his family to see him, what he was doing, and, and the direction he was going. But it was important that on our race to the cross that we're going through in our series that we realize that Jesus didn't come to smooth things over and just to make family family. He was coming to make you and me sinners family with God. And that's what they didn't realize in that moment. And if we're going to avoid the distractions in order to get to the cross, we need to also realize who are my brothers, who are my sisters, who is my family of faith, and how can I bring my family, my blood relatives, my kin, into that family as well, as much as we love them, as much as criticism as we might get from them. So let's get into the text. You can follow along. If you're following us online, there's a link. You can follow the listening guide there. There's a listening guide in your service folder here as well. Open up your Bibles from, to Mark chapter 3, starting at verse 20. It says this, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. And that word in the Greek, out of his mind, is adzeste, and it means to literally be separated from someone or something. And you might have little moments of this uh, when you're having a bad day, or maybe one of your children has a bad day in school, and the teacher says to you, or you might hear reports of it, and you might say, that's not like them. That's totally out of their character. That's totally out of their character. They're out of their mind. They're not acting like they normally do. And that's the word that's used here. Jesus, his parents, his mother, it says, uh, perhaps Joseph has passed away at this point. His mother and his brothers are saying, looking at Jesus and they see him in a cramped, uncomfortable house. And in this house, he's healing and he's teaching the kingdom of God and he's bringing good news to the poor. And the house is so crowded that Uber Eats can't even get through the door. He's not eating, it says. Wouldn't you be concerned if you were a mother looking at your son doing this for his own welfare? And he's burning the candle at both ends. If you've been following our series along, morning, early morning, late nights, healing, driving out demons. You've got to think as a parent or you've got to think as a brother. He's out of his mind. We've got to help him. The same is true for you and me. Living on mission with Jesus, living on Jesus' mission can cause loved ones to think that we are out of our mind. 
giving up two to three hours of prime weekend time, waking up earlier than some on a Sunday morning to be in church and worshiping Jesus. Do you think the world might think to themselves they're out of their mind? Believing in an ancient book that has rules, that has commands, that says do this and don't do that, and family members might overtly or subtly look at us and think to themselves, they're a little out of their mind to believe the things that were written thousands of years ago. Come on, get with the program, (laughs) right? Have you ever had those daggers from loved ones that say you're out of your mind for following this Jesus? It can hurt. But living on mission with Jesus includes owning that. That fact that the world will look at us, even loved ones in our own kin might look at us and say, you're out of your mind. But Jesus' family wasn't the only one that thought that Jesus was out of his mind. The text goes on and it says this. Verse 22, And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebul. By the prince of demons he is driving out demons. By the way, just stop right there. Beelzebul or Beelzebub is, uh, was an ancient... Philistine false god, and it means Baal, or Baal, Lord, and then Zebub, flies, Lord of the flies, and then that term got used over time with the Jewish people, and eventually they said, they used that term to identify Satan with that term, so they're talking about Satan here, Beelzebub. They're connecting Jesus to the devil and the devil's work, which is going to answer a question for us in just a moment about the sin against the Holy Spirit. We'll make that connection. But next it says, verse 23, So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Um, Doing uh, sessions with people that are asked the pastor's sessions, and I've done many of them with people from across the world. Do you know what ranks on the top three or four questions that people have? Pastor, what is the sin against the Holy Spirit? What is the eternal sin, the unforgivable sin? What is blaspheming the Holy Spirit? Have you ever thought about that question before? Or have you ever even heard about blaspheming the Holy Spirit? It's a question that people have, and I think it's asked often out of a heart that says this. I hope that I never <laughs> blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And pastor, tell me, what is that sin so that I can, I'll never do it? So it's a good question. And I will tell you this, we don't have time to go into all the Bible passages this morning about the sin of the Holy Spirit, but we do have one passage here that talks about it, and we're going to draw a conclusion about it. Both here in Mark chapter 3 and in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus gets into a very similar situation with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees come to him, and they accuse him of being demon-possessed from Beelzebub. 
And in both of those instances, Jesus talks about how ridiculous that is in the first place. Because a house divided against itself cannot stand. So why would Satan be trying to drive out other demons to Satan? He's, making a log- he's telling them, logically, this doesn't make sense what you're saying. You know, a football team does not purposefully try to self-destruct in the playoffs. Unless you're the Dallas Cowboys, then you have some questions. But Satan does not fight against Satan. How could he be from Satan? The Pharisees had a conclusion. They said, this person cannot be, this Jesus cannot be from God. They already made that conclusion in their head. They had unbelief. He's doing unnatural things that something a human being couldn't do. Therefore, he must be from Satan. It didn't make sense, but that was their logic. And Jesus comes back and says this. And really, this is what we learn about the sin of the Holy Spirit from this portion of Scripture. Jesus is saying to them, you teachers of the law, you Pharisees, you religious lawyers, you see me doing good. Blessing people, driving out demons, feeding the hungry, healing the sick, and preaching the good news. And you look at that, and you say it's evil. The sin against the Holy Spirit or blaspheming the Holy Spirit includes calling divine work demon work and demon work divine. I'll say that one more time. The sin against the Holy Spirit includes calling divine work demonic and demonic work divine. So, if you in your heart think to yourself, I'm so comfortable in my sin, and you repent, and, and you, you don't repent, you start to get boiled like a frog. You know what I mean by that? The temperature in that pot and that frog swimming around on the stove, it's 100 degrees, and you're comfortable, and you're comfortable, and then, and then the temperature goes up a little bit more, and you're swimming around, and you're saying, I'm comfortable in my sin, and I'm not really going to repent of it, and I'm, kinda, I'm getting used to this. It kind of feels good. And finally, you're getting to 150, 200 degrees, and 210 degrees, you're in your sin, and you've, you've never repented of it, and, and now you've become so comfortable in it that you say the rules and the laws of God and his word, they're evil. And what I want is best. And then finally you get cooked in the end. Because you've been adapting to a life without God. And I'm not one. Neither is your, any past, Pastor Boshek, myself. We can't tell what the heart is, where your heart is. We can't tell and read hearts. But the truth is this. We're concerned. We're concerned that people in the world today... Not, I'm not saying this group of people, this is a group of the forgiven here, but that people today are, are calling evil good and good evil. And it's happening and it's affecting people. And that's why we have such a compassion to reach the lost because we never want those hearts to be hardened. We never want people's souls to get boiled. And if you're asking yourself this question, have I committed the sin against the Holy Spirit? And you have... Uh, and, you, and you're worried in your heart, man, have I committed the unforgivable sin? The answer is you haven't. Because a, a soul and a heart that asks that question is a soul and a heart that is alive with faith and repentance. Jesus says that, doesn't he? He says that uh, 
verse 28, truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. Your heart is alive and your heart's asking the right question. That's why Jesus says, I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an evil spirit. Verse 31, then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. So Jesus' family returns, and they see him that he hasn't changed his behavior. And they said, get him out of there. We need him. He's, he's self-destructing. He's not eating. And now he's going up against the religious authorities. And he's questioning them, and they're questioning him. And he's giving them hard answers for them to understand. His life is at risk, and, and they were right. Jesus' life is at risk. And they're right in this sense. Jesus is out of his mind, according to what the worldly standards are. If sitting in cramped, uncomfortable rooms, preaching the kingdom of heaven to sinners and driving out demons day and night is crazy, Jesus is whack. If giving up all of your eternal riches in heaven and entering into this world to become hungry and poor is wild and insane, Jesus is more. If taking on and owning the criticisms of family and religious authorities is out of your mind, Jesus is extra. Because his family thought to themselves he's risking his life, but the truth is that Jesus entered into this world not to risk his life, but to give his life. Give his life for his family that at this moment was doubting. Give his life for you and me, sinners, that have so often fallen away and sinned. He came into this world not just to he did not come into this world to smooth things over. He came into this world to go to the cross. And that's why people all around him thought he's out of his mind. Because guess what? God is out of his mind for you. As high as the heavens are from the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, 9. The prophet called it. There would be one that would come into this world that was out of our mind but he came to enter into your heart, forgive you, and redeem you. And that changes everything, my friends. Because now he calls you his sister and his brother. After his family tries to call him out of the house, Jesus uh, says this, his out, by the way, his out-of-his-mind love for sinners compelled him to the cross. And that's what, what's going to lead us to the application in closing here. Uh, when he says in verse 34, then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So what's the application? How, how can I put this into action as I race towards the cross? What Jesus is saying is that his 
out of his mind, love compelled him to the cross. He then goes to this group of people in the circle around him, and he says, this is the circle of the forgiven. This is the circle that gets it. Now, your and my heart has been changed, so we're in his family, and he calls you brothers and sisters with God, with the divine. And therefore, our love, our out-of-our-mind love compels us and moves us into relationships with one another to meet each other's needs, especially within the family of faith, but also seeking the lost. Our out-of-our-mind love compels us to live within that family of faith. And it looks like this. Jesus put himself into cramped, uncomfortable positions and conditions in order to serve the needs of others. Have you ever thought about this, that Jesus puts you and me into uncomfortable, cramped conditions psychologically, emotionally, in community with one another, with people that may not look like us, act like us, be from our background. His love compels us to go into those situations and to live in those situations out of love for that person that might be a lot different than us. Or maybe somebody that hasn't given as much up as we've given up. He puts us into the relationships with one another to love one another even as uncomfortable as it is. Jesus gave up all of his riches in heaven, and he came into this earth to become poor and hungry. His love compelled him to do that. He was out of his mind. We're out of our mind when we make sacrifices that the world doesn't understand. And he doesn't call you and me to become poor. He doesn't call you and me to to go hungry. But he does compel... His love does compel us to make sacrifices that are recognizable. Sacrifices that we might say, that hurts my budget more than the world would imagine (laughs) to do this, to bless somebody. That hurts my time. And it's a sacrifice in my time that I'm making. And it's an uncomfortable sacrifice, but it's one that's made because I'm in the family and I'm in the circle of the forgiven sitting around Jesus in that house. And he's made me his brother and his sister. On this very floor, on, on Thursday, we saw that at Divine Savior Academy when students and teachers volunteered an entire day to go down to the Houston Food Bank and to make this room a, a sacrifice of a day to make 25,000 meals for people around the world that are in need. That's just one example. And it's not the only example, but it's one example about how we make sacrifices for one another and for those that we might not even know because we live out of our minds. Jesus endured these criticisms of family. And he owned those criticisms and he stood by himself in a principled way and he said, I'm not changing even though the criticisms of my own kin are are coming my way. You and I can stand up out of our minds in love with Jesus and the family of the forgiven and say, I can take the criticisms because I'm forgiven and I'm in Jesus' family. And those criticisms from family and from kin, they're temporary, but my life with Jesus forever in heaven is eternal. Feeling the criticisms hurts. Looking at your parents who outnumber you two to one on the bench, 
That hurt just a little bit. <laughs> but you know when you're with Jesus in his family that we can endure it. We can put aside the distractions as we go forward to the cross, the cross where Jesus was out of his mind for you because you're loved and forgiven. Amen. Thank you.